Praise Jesus. We do indeed serve a faithful God. Amen? Amen. Let's take a moment and talk to Him one more time. Lord, we ask that You would meet us here. We ask Jesus that You would indeed remove from us those things that would distract from us hearing what You have to say. And Lord, fill us with Your Spirit. Equip us, enable us to be the men and women You want us to be because our world is in desperate need of Christians who repent from worldliness and turn to godliness, especially in times as difficult as these. Give us tonight, Jesus, to know You better and therefore love You and trust You more. In Jesus' name, Amen. A Christian man is the most free Lord of all subject to none. A Christian man is also the most dutiful servant of all and subject to everyone. Thus spoke Martin Luther. Part of the appeal to me of Christianity as I was entering my late teens and early 20s was the comprehensive nature of what I now call the biblical worldview. How the Bible sees what we experience. And where things are simple, the Bible is simple. And where things are complex, the Bible tells it like it is. Now, how a Christian rightly relates to government is one of these more complex issues. In part because there's lots of different kinds of governments and even within those kinds of governments there's lots of different governments and then there's all kinds of Christians who come from all kinds of backgrounds in some cases there are very specific commands that we must obey to be a Christian dealing with government rightly in other cases there are principles that point us in a direction that you and I need to explore individually in our own dynamic relationship with Jesus. And that's why last week we looked at Luther's quote and quote from the Bible in 1 Peter 2, and we saw the big idea that we need to be subject and we need to live free. Now, tonight I want to unpack a different principle. We are going to see some clear commands here, but we don't want to jump immediately on each of these ideas to an absolute, undeniable, this is the way every Christian must act. I, tonight, am speaking to a very particular audience in a very particular cultural situation. Several of you have been with me or with others to Haiti. And if this message were in Haiti, I, I assure you, it would be very different because how they relate to a government that is different from ours must be different. So tonight I have in mind you, my beloved. You who live in this very particular time on the cusp of how do I put it gently? The worst election in my lifetime. <laughs> I'm just going with what I know, okay? <laughs> and we're going to see 
that you and I need to give honor to those to whom it is due. Yes. We will see that there are individuals who hold various offices and we as Christians rightly relating to our government must honor them in a very carefully defined biblical manner. Whether we support their policies or not. More generally, the principles and the commands we're going to look at tonight can be summed up with this simple command, honor authority. So here's where we left off now three or four weeks ago when we were in Matthew before we started this particular series. And it's found in Matthew 22, starting in verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinions for you are not swayed by appearances. Boy, they have our news channels all the way back. Oh, never mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of the news channel's malice, said, Why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Very simple command. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar and render unto God things that are God's. Very simple, right? Now, what on earth are we supposed to render to Caesar? What is it that belongs to him? And how do we honor authority, which is going to be our big idea tonight, in light of God's Word, especially if that authority is dishonorable? Now tonight, I'm going to use this passage as a jumping off point. And I want to explore some of the governing principles and commands regarding the Christian and government. Now, I'm going to say something about my methodology tonight. Tonight and next Sunday, I'm preaching topically. I'm going to use a lot of verses to talk about a single broad subject. Now, this is a tricky way to preach because it's very easy to get into proof texting. It's very easy to nip and pull a verse out of context and make believe it means what you want it to believe. It's mean. Now I'm cognizant of this danger and I do not believe that I've committed this hermeneutical sin, but I'm going to let you be the judge of whether that's true or not. Nevertheless, when done rightly and rarely in my opinion, Topical preaching can be a helpful way of covering a topic that is broader than any one particular passage covers, which is what I believe we're doing tonight. Uh, remember, this is a four-week series leading up to the election and then one week after. So we're, we're covering a broad range, but tonight is going to be kind of machine gun style. So I want you to hang with me as we go through these principles. And I didn't bring a notes, but you all have notes. If you don't, go ahead and grab some 
over there and you'll see the points, the principles, and the verses. So I want to begin with the one that you all are going to enjoy the most. The first one is pay your taxes. I put this right up front and I gave you right up front two verses. Matthew 22:21, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God. Pay your taxes. Romans 13, 7, if that wasn't clear enough, pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Listen, because none of you carried tomatoes in with you today, I'm going to say this really simple. If you cheat on your taxes, you sin. Now, if you read the tax law carefully and you use the tax law as it's intended to do and you are able to save some money, save some money by all means. I don't want to give any more money to the corrupt government than I need to either. But I sure am not going to go to jail because I didn't render under Caesar the things that are Caesar. This is such a clear command. And my friends, I don't want to belabor this too much. But my conscience is not for sale for a couple of hundred dollars I might get if I cheat on my taxes. Yes, I, it's not more than a couple hundred dollars. It's me we're talking about here, okay? <laughs> and don't forget, Jesus and Paul are both talking about Roman emperors. I mean, these are the dudes who gives being an emperor a bad name. Right? So we're, they're talking about sending taxes to him. Washington hasn't come up with something so bad as a Roman emperor. So this goes with our principle. Honor authority. Honor authority. We're going to keep coming back to this, but I want this to stick in your mind so that it'll fall into your heart. But I don't pay my taxes simply because I don't want to go to jail. I pay my taxes because this is what the Lord has called me to do. Which leads me then to pray for my leaders. Pray for my leaders. Clear command. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgiving. Four different ways the Bible talks about prayer. I don't think he's trying to be complete here, comprehensive. I think he's just talking. All these different ways you could think of praying, pray for your leaders. Made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly in every way. We're going to get back to that ending later. And as I said last week, you cannot pray for someone and sin against them at the same time. You can either pray for them, or you can sin against them. But you can't do both at the same time. And my friends, everybody has time to do the things they really want to do. And everybody makes excuses about not having enough time to do the things they only pretend they want to do. So are you praying for your leaders? When was the last time you prayed for Barack Obama? When was the last time you prayed for Jerry Brown? When was the last time you prayed for our Supreme Court? This isn't guilt, guys. This isn't guilt. This is just a reminder. 
I'm not saying you're a bad Christian if you don't, but what I am saying is pray for your leaders and honor authority. Now here's a tricky one. You thought paying taxes was tough. Honor your leaders. Passage we did last week, 1 Peter chapter 2, end of it, verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Last spring, as a part of the work I do for the city, I walked into the darkest building in Santa Maria, California. I went into Planned Parenthood and I met two doctors. Honor everyone. Those women need grace. Those women need, they need to see that love. Now, I didn't love them. I shook their hands and I greeted them and I didn't tell them I was a pastor here. We were there for a different purpose. But it brings up the question, how do you honor someone who's dishonorable, whose actions are dishonorable? What about the command to honor your parents? That is a 100% command. Everybody honor your parents. What if your parents abused you? What if your parents neglected you? What if your parents weren't what you needed them to be? How do you honor these parents? I'm going to tell you exactly right now. Live in such a way that if the people around you don't know about your parents, they think your parents were God's gift to earth. Now, are there going to be some people that, that find out a little bit more about the story? Yes. And they do in context, in context of the love that you have for your parents and the love you have for them and the love you have for Christ. You don't necessarily lie, but neither do you badmouth your parents to everyone around you. So likewise, how do we honor those who are in authority over us when they live and rule in a manner that will bring ultimate harm to our nation? At minimum, if this is all you can muster, then muster it by, by faith through grace. Never belittle them. Never talk about that person as if they are less than human or how that you are somehow better than them this is exactly what jesus is talking about in matthew chapter 7 one where he says do not judge he's talking about not condemning people he's not talking about don't look at what's going on he's saying don't belittle don't brush aside oh my lord how often do we do that about the person driving next to us on the freeway secondly if by grace through faith you can muster a little more than that. When you are discussing the areas of disagreement you have with this leader, how do you honor them? Highlight the differences according to the worldview. When talking about abortion, for example, highlight the fact that we are seeking to protect and the most empirically innocent human being on earth. 
has never done anybody any harm. Emphasize that over against a materialism that says there is no soul, there is no God, and start talking about the differences in worldview. One of the things when I'm doing marriage counseling and people are fighting, as I say, listen, the very first thing you got to do is when you're talking about the issue, hold the issue here. So that when your wife or your husband is shooting arrows, it goes over here. Because if you put the issue right here, they shoot arrows, it's going to go into your heart, and now you're going to have a fight. But talk about the issue. Talk about what's at hand, not about the person. Because my friends, I don't care if you're voting for Trump, I don't care if you're voting for Hillary, I don't care if you're voting for none of the above. It doesn't matter at this exact moment. Pardon me. What matters is that you're not hating that other person because they are not our enemy. Right now they're a puppet of the enemy. And the battle we are fighting is not against flesh and blood, but is against powers and authorities of this dark age. So don't belittle them. Don't don't make them out to be less than human. Talk about the areas of disagreement as opposed to talking about the person. Oh, I can't stand that guy's hair. Oh, I can't stand that girl's dress. What? That drives me up a wall when Christians make comments about hair and Hillary's suit thing. (laughs) And thirdly, when you find yourself in need of honoring authority, the third point is never forget. Never, never forget. You serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the President of presidents. And nobody gets into the White House without His expressed command. I need to hear an amen for that. Now, whoever gets in the White House likely will do serious harm to our nation. But not to those who serve the Lord. And it is as the world gets darker that the light gets brighter. Honor authority. The next one is a two-parter. Obey Duly ratified laws, Titus 3.1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, and to be ready for every good work. And then 1 Peter 2, again, what we did last week. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. I'm not going to repeat what we said about this last week. Go back and listen to that. But you are obliged to obey the law. You are obliged to obey the law. And no matter how bad you think the country may be, whether Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump gets in the White House, anarchy is worse. Now fortunately, I haven't heard very much of this. But let there be no folly about rebellion. Christians are not interested in raising arms against the government. 
We will vote as we can. But instead, let there be rational, spirit-filled discussion about obedience to the law until the second part of this piece comes in. You are, as Christians, to disobey immoral laws while accepting the consequences of your disobedience. Back in the 1960s, I wasn't here yet, but back in the 1960s, a great deal of cultural change happened. Why? Was it because people took up arms against the government? There certainly was a lot of that. We don't have to read very much about the 60s to hear about stories of people taking up arms against the United States government. Why did successful, serious change happen in the United States of America in the 1960s? Because of civil disobedience. And civil disobedience is intentionally breaking an immoral law and peacefully accepting the consequences of that disobedience. It takes both sides. If you break the law and you're unwilling or you fight back when you're being arrested, that's not civil disobedience, that's stupidity. Where do we get this? Where do I get this? There has to be a Bible verse. Of the many, listen to this. When they had brought Peter and John, they set the disciples before the council, the highest authority in Jerusalem. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus. Yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Oh my goodness, I would just love to have someone say that about me. And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging Him on a tree. God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. As the story goes on, they get beaten. They get beaten for this smart mouth answer back to the high priest as they probably expected. And what did they do? Woohoo! Praise Jesus! We got beat! Yeah! You know, I don't know. God help me. I haven't been in that situation yet. I hope that I have that kind of attitude. But here's what I know. I don't know what my reaction will be. But I do know that the King of Kings and the President of Presidents is more interested in my obedience even than I am. And He will give me grace to obey when it comes the time to do it. So why worry? Why be all stirred up? We're going back to our first lesson here. Why fret? The grace that you need will be given to you when you need it. And if they send us to FEMA camps in Idaho, we'll be there together and we'll sing, How Great is Thy Faithfulness. Amen? Amen. Honor authority. And this idea of civil disobedience, this idea of intentionally breaking immoral laws, 
is still honoring authority when you consider who the primary authority is. But if you drive 75 on the freeway, expect a ticket. And don't give the officer lip when you get it. Because you deserve it. And if you give that officer lip and he recognizes you from church, what kind of witness is that going to be? And before that happens, vote. Okay, I'm going to read every verse in the Bible that commands you to vote. Oh, wait. There aren't any verses in the Bible that command you to vote. I'm looking out here, and I see people who have lived in different countries who don't have the opportunity to vote. Or if they do, if they did, all of the options they had are exactly as bad as the one we're facing now. I had friends who grew up in Ukraine, and I talked to them. What was it like growing up under communist rule? And, you know, I, I mean, we didn't get into the specific, but their elections, every single one of them, was at least as bad as the one we're facing. Every single one. Wow. We are so spoiled that we are throwing hissy fits because of this election. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not happy about it either. Why? I serve the King of Kings and the President of Presidents, and I talked to him this afternoon. And he heard me. And you know what? He talked to me. He talked to me this morning when I was reading Psalm 2 and he reminded me that he is the one who will come back one day. Now we're still like in, what did I say, verse 4? We're not to, the, we're not to verse 12 yet. But we're going to get there. Amen? Now, I wrote down, if you, want to, if you want to talk about it, I'm happy to talk to you more. I think that the, we should vote. Uh, I think that there are principles that indicate that we should vote. Um, one of them, you remember we did a series on what it means to be a part of the uh, image of God, being created in the image of God. And one of the four main elements, I think, is the fact that we have choice. And exercising our choice in voting, I think, is, is a principle but the one I put down is the one I, I want to remind us. Oh, the, the point we did first week was seek the welfare of your city. We vote because we seek the welfare of our city. There's 20 different propositions on the ballot right now. Go through them and vote for the ones that you have an educated opinion about so that our city is blessed. But Proverbs 29.2 brings up a very important point. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. Insofar as you are able to exercise an educated opinion about the different propositions, do so. So that righteousness may increase. And you will honor authority. Now that's one part. I want to get to actually what I think is the most important part about what it means to be 
Christians and under our government. Serve your neighbors. Jesus called his disciples to them and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give up his life as a ransom for all. You are not going to give up your life as a ransom for all. But you could. You could give up your life in such a way that people will see that you value something oh so much more important than whether the Democrats or the Republicans or the Independents or the Socialists or whoever else wins the election. You must live as a good citizen of the kingdom where you reside when you serve those around you so that those who are near you will see that your citizenship not only reflects the country you are from, but reflects the country you are going to. Which is far more important than where you were born. Second one of the second set, live quiet lives. Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your own hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. Boy, this is a sermon right here. I wish I could go into it. The question is, how do you aspire to live quietly? That is a powerful question, but you do it the way Paul commands you here. Mind your own affairs. Work with your hands so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. Now this is all going to be tempered by the world that we live in and it's not going to be perfect. We don't live on farms anymore, self-sufficient farms. But apart from what we are commanded here to do, we want to live lives that reflect the fact that we trust the promises of God for us in Christ and therefore distrust all the so-called promises that keep us forever frantic and cause us to run helter-skelter or simply give up and sit in front of Candy Crush all night. Is that real life for anybody here? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Give up believing that Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump is going to save this country. Neither of them are. And if you think Ronald Reagan or Jack Kennedy was Jesus Christ himself, neither one of them saved us either, did they? I'd take Jack Kennedy in a hot New York second right now. And we live quietly because we never forget our future is nothing but grace. Our future, all the pain, even if we end up in FEMA camp somewhere, that will be grace too. Increased righteousness is our last point. I want to go over, remind you just quickly what we did the first week. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, 
Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there in the worst possible situation you could possibly imagine. Multiply there. Have kids. And seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, in the welfare of the United States of America, you will find your welfare. That's why you should vote. Increase righteousness because because your family propagates. Because godly men and women come from your family and because you introduce new godly men and women who were outside of your family but now have become a part of your eternal family who are closer to you now than some of your blood family because at this moment they're not going to be in heaven god save them save my family and furthermore paul expands on this idea for the grace of god has appeared in Jesus, bringing salvation that is available for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live, catch this, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Don't, don't get lost in this whole, the good old days. Because the good old days weren't all that good. In this present time, while you are waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, once again, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. And this particular passage in Titus is about personal righteousness and is not directly about our relationship to the government. But oh my goodness, as we consider the reality of Christ and His redeeming work that's already happened, and as we consider the reality of Christ and His redeeming work that is going to happen, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid of what the polls say. We don't need to be afraid about what's happening in North Carolina or Florida or Sacramento or Santa Maria. We don't need to be afraid. Now, I want to wrap this up. I hope at least one of you is thinking, oh great, Pastor Greg, you just gave us this whole list, but you still haven't told me who to vote for. Well, when you show me the passage in the Bible where it says who to vote for in the 2016 United States elections, then I'll tell you who to vote for. Until then, I have made up my mind, but I ain't going to tell you what it was. <laughs> Until then, I want to give a reminder. This is one that my wife gave to me. Great, great quote. Steve Furtick is a pastor. And he said, the only way God can show us He is in control is to put us in situations we can't control. Does anybody feel out of control right now? I want to see some hands. Come on, I know. Next week, I'm talking about lying if you don't raise your hand. There's a man that I rely on as my accountability friend. 
and uh, he's the one that I talk to and holds my feet to the fire. And he is fond of reminding me about this prayer right here. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. Courage to change the things that I can. And wisdom to know the difference. There may be some people in this room who need to go on a 12-step program to get off of television news. Amen? And what we have here is not a comprehensive list. It's very brief that tells us some of the biblical principles and some of the commands. And believe me, if we seriously start working on them, they will keep us busy past November 8th. These are what you and I can do. These are what you and I should occupy ourselves. And then we will live in the serenity we need while having the courage and wisdom we need from the President of Presidents who promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That, my friends, is a promise you can trust. And Lord, we need promises like that because we are so weak. And the devil is so strong. And there is so much fervor going on right now. We can't even tell which way to turn sometimes. Except we turn to You. We recognize that You are the great President of Presidents. And we trust in Your promises to seal us for that day of redemption. And Lord, again, 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 Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. In the meantime, let us live without fear while we look to you because you are the great God who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for coming.